Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. Romans 8, 18-30 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So... We are right in the middle of Romans 8. Last week, uh, we did the beginning, and next week, we do the end. And this is one of the high points of Scripture, right? This is where Paul gives us this huge vision of the renewal of all things. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about something very important, and that's photo cropping. One of the gifts of the 21st century, right, is that anyone can edit photos, Right. And it might just be you add a filter to something or you resize something to make it look good. But sometimes we can crop a photo in such a way that it tells an entirely different story. Right. The facts of the the subject of the picture doesn't change. But by changing the perspective, it changes what we see. So the Internet is filled with fun examples of this. Look at this stately cat. Right. He's a beautiful cat. I bet he is the most handsome cat in the world unless you widen the lens. Okay, for those of you who cannot see the slides that Gary is showing, the first one is of an absolutely beautiful cat, but all you can see is its head. When you flip to the second slide, the screen widens out and you see that this cat is enormously overweight. There he is. Look at that cat. See, totally different when you widen it out. Look at this couple, right? This beautiful, oh, they're on a beach together. They're riding horses. You might even forget that a photographer is there. They're just alone in love with the person that they love, unless you widen the lens. In the next picture, we see that the couple who are kissing while riding horseback on the beach are actually saddle deep in water, and another guy has just photobombed them with his head poking up out of the water between them. Oh, look at that guy. What's he doing there? 
or if we go to the next one, look at this woman on vacation. She's wearing a dapper hat. She got a beautiful background. What a perfect vacation shot. She probably put it on Facebook and sent it to all her friends, unless you widen the lens. And in the next picture, you see that behind the lady, above her on the ornate wall, is a pair of monkeys, one of whom is debugging the other monkey's hindquarters. One of my favorite examples of this um, actually comes from the pyramids. Maybe you guys have seen the picture of the pyramids that looks like this, right? It's like way out in the middle of nowhere. You see those camels there. You might think, ah, oh, I have to take a camel ride for like three days to get there. Maybe we'll camp in the desert to see the pyramids. When you widen the lens though, you realize where the pyramids actually are. You see that? Maybe you've seen this before. This is where the pyramids actually are. That's the city of Cairo there, the third largest city in Africa. There's like 9 million people that live right next to the pyramids. Completely changes our understanding of the pyramids when we see that, right? The pyramids don't change, but how we understand the pyramids change. You can see it from a different perspective there. Yeah, you see like they're just outside the city. In fact, uh, apparently there's this funny thing you can do. You can go to Cairo and you can sit in a local pizza hut and take a picture of the Sphinx. This is a thing and it happens. So again, when we widen the lens, it changes the story. We go from this to that. It doesn't change the facts. The pyramids are the pyramids, no matter how you crop the photo, but it does change the story. It does change how we understand the facts. Yeah. So what's this have to do with Romans 8? Romans 8, despite its high language, is actually a passage about suffering. Paul is writing to a community in suffering. They've received the good news of Jesus, and yet they continue to suffer. And Paul is acknowledging that. It's a world of suffering. Our bodies break. When we try and live out our faith, we stumble, right? We face resistance. Even creation itself is broken. And Paul acknowledges this, right? He doesn't say we need to deny suffering. It's not faithful to Christ to say there is no suffering in this world. But instead, what he says is widen the lens. See the big story. The world is rough, but when we back up enough, we see this big story that God is making all things new. And it is all coming to the glory of God. Our bodies, our souls even the very ground that we stand on. It is all coming to God. And so when we widen the lens, it doesn't negate our suffering, but in the end we can say with Paul, and not in a sentimental or trite way, but from the depths of our soul, what he says in verse 18, that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen. So this is Paul's calling in Romans 8, widen the lens, see the big story, and in the midst of suffering, if we can do that, there, there we will find God. Amen. So Romans 8, we might not think of Romans as an apocalyptic book, right? We studied Revelation in the fall, and you meet dragons and two-headed monsters and angels with eyes all over them. But Romans is actually a book about the changing of the ages, about the end of time. In fact, the word reveal appears twice in this passage. And does anybody remember what the Greek word for reveal is? Anyone? 
apocalypse. That's right. So the word apocalypse actually appears in this two in, in this passage twice. Because what Paul's doing is he's talking about the change of the age. He says that we live in this present age, right? It's a world created good by God, and yet it is corrupted. Through sin and death, we are fallen and our bodies break, and even creation is subjected to sin and death. And what Christ has done is he inaugurates the age to come. Through his life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom of God draws near and so near that we can taste it. We can touch it. It bleeds into the present. We touch the kingdom of God every time we have intimacy with God, every time we experience the healing of God, when we act as the people of God, when new people are grafted into the family of God. And Paul will talk about in this passage, we even have the spirit, the very presence of God, the first fruits of the new creation, helping us to touch the age to come. And yet, the old age remains, right? And this is what's so hard about living out the Christian life. Anyone who's been a Christian for any, any length of time knows that they go through seasons where these kingdom moments feel few and far between, where suffering seems to be winning, where the world seems like it's not really interested in changing, where our sanctification feels like a slog at best and an illusion at worst. Where the people of God look anything like the people of God, where death seems to have the upper hand and pain seems far more prominent than the kingdom. I don't mean to be a drag, right? But suffering is real. We know this, right? I mean, even in our little church community, we had four funerals that people were at this week. And death and disease and poverty and mental illness and strife. And these things are just there around us. And Paul acknowledges it, right? He doesn't say that won't happen if you follow Jesus, or he doesn't say it doesn't matter if you follow Jesus. He says it's real, just like Jesus does. But it doesn't win. And so when we go through suffering, we don't have to deny it. Instead, the challenge is to widen the lens and to see this big picture of the healing of God, the big salvation story of God. And this is what Paul does in Romans 8. He shows us this big story. I don't know if you were able to get a glimpse of it in our first reading of it, or uh, if you're familiar with this passage, but if we can sum it up in one way, what Paul is saying is that God is making all things new. One day, every last piece of brokenness in this world will fall away, and justice will die, sin will die, strife will die, and lastly, even death itself will die. And it's not that everything in this world will be burned off and will float off to the clouds. Instead, what Paul gives us is this surprisingly earthy vision of what is to come. He starts off by talking about the fact that our, our souls are going to be redeemed. That, um, this is the passage at the end, verses 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, there's a lot of big Bible churchy words in there. Paul says this much more succinctly in Philippians. He says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Or even more simply, what God started, God will finish. God will finish his work in you even on days when you can't see it. 
God will finish his work of healing this world, even on days when it feels like it's collapsing. God will finish his work in each and every one of us and in us all together. And we will come into the glory of God. What God has started, God will finish. Whatever taste of redemption we've already had will come to completion in the age to come. Amen. And God won't just redeem our souls, but also our bodies. This is good news, right? This, this is a, we, we haven't always grasped this one. We still tend to think of ourselves floating off in the little, you know, like from the cartoons, right? Sylvester the cat or whatever, like floating up. But that's not what scripture teaches. It says our bodies will be redeemed. So things like cancer will die. But so will the aches and pains and frustrations of having a body. And you know what else will die? Shame. If you think back to the creation story, what's the first thing that Adam and Eve do after they fall in the garden? What's the first thing they do? They cover themselves up. They hide themselves from God and from one another. Shame enters into humanity, this alienation from our body. And I know each of us feels that in some way. I'm pretty sure that's not just me, that we feel this alienation from our body, this antagonism. And that Romans 8 promises that that will go away, that that will be done. Not only will suffering and death be gone, but so will shame as we come into the resurrected body. Amen. And lastly, this passage gives us this kind of crazy cool vision of creation being redeemed. Physical creation, right? Again, we won't float off to the clouds in the end, but we come into the new heavens and the new earth. One of my favorite passages from the Old Testament comes from Isaiah 11. You might recognize it from Advent, um, verses 6 and 8 here. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the infant will play near the cobra's nest, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. Not sure we should take that literally, right? Like kids are going to be playing with snakes in heaven. I mean, maybe they will, but I don't know. But what it speaks to more than that is the idea that when God's redemption comes, antagonism falls away. Even the predators and the prey hang out together. Creation is healed. Creation is no longer at odds with itself. And so we no longer hate ourselves. We no longer destroy one another. Even creation is no longer at odds with itself. The wolf lies down with the lamb. The leopard lies down with the goat. The child plays in the adder's nest. This passage says that all of creation is going to be redeemed. The creation has been subjected to, to death, and now it's going to be set free. I don't fully know what that means. Like, I thought about that a lot this week. What's it mean for Saturn to be redeemed, right? And I don't know. And yet what's, what, what God did in me, what God stirred in me was just kind of this idea that like, you can look up at the stars and see them wink back at you as they say to you, we're in on this too. This grand salvation story, even we are in on this. All of creation is part of God's great salvation story, amen. And so when we're going through suffering, we need to find ways to connect into this big story. 
When we go through suffering, this matters that there is a big story that somehow in the end, it all comes into the glory of God. I come into the glory of God because what God has started, God will finish. And we come into the glory of God as the children of God are revealed. The world comes into the glory of God as injustice falls away. And even then stars come into the glory of God. In the great words of Flannery O'Connor, everything that rises must converge. Somehow in the end, it all comes to God. Amen. And when we can stay in the story, it changes suffering. Kind of like the pyramids, right? Suffering doesn't not exist. But we change the story around it. We gain hope. Even when things are bleak, we know the future is coming. Even when things are a slog, we know that it will end up in Christ. Even when injustice wins the battle, we know that God's justice will win the war. It's not that suffering isn't real. It's that it's temporary. This too shall pass. The new age will come. Romans 8 gives us that as a promise. And he reminds us, God, Paul reminds us that it's not conditional, right? It's not like this will happen if we get it right. God will, will glorify you if you do enough work for it. He says, no, what God started, God will finish. You didn't start it to begin with. So God doesn't need you to complete it. God will do the work. God will bring you home. This too shall pass. What God started, God will finish. The new age will come. And so we have hope. Amen. same time, Romans 8 doesn't tell us to be entirely passive, that we don't just wait. Instead, it gives us a rather odd strategy for dealing with suffering. What's it tell us to do in the face of suffering? Apparently, we're supposed to groan. Or more importantly, to let the Holy Spirit groan through us. So just show of hands, how many of you regularly employ a groaning strategy for dealing with suffering? It's funny, right? It's kind of silly, and yet it's so crucial. If any of you have ever actually experienced that in the face of suffering. Because what it means to groan with the Spirit is that, again, we don't deny suffering or immediately try and fix it. But we enter in. We enter into the depths of it and we sit in it long enough to meet God there. And together we groan. We groan with God. Has anybody ever experienced that? You know, this passage is talking about it's kind of a. When we do that, when we're willing to sit in the depths with God, we, we gain comfort, we gain encouragement and strength, we deepen in ourselves we come into the heart of God and we might be sent out back out to do something about it right that might happen but I, I guarantee on the other side of groaning our activity will look and smell a heck of a lot more like Jesus and not just our anxiety right usually when we spring to action in the face of suffering it's our anxiety saying you got to do something right away scripture tells us to groan first we become shaped like Christ. We come into the suffering of Christ. We come into the heart of God and we go out to be Jesus in this world. Groaning brings us into this big story. When we groan with God, God says, I know, 
I know. I hate death as much as you. And I'm in the process of destroying it. So enter in with me and we'll go through this together. When we widen the lens and see this big story, it does bleed back into the present, right? We realize it's not entirely a future story, but it gives us eyes to see. It gives us eyes to see even in the midst of suffering that God is at work around us all the time, that healing is coming, that we are being raised up in Christ, that healing, that the spirit of God is speaking and working through us. And that keeps us going. It gives us endurance. It gives us uh, a way to just understand that this all things new is, is actually very close to us. But lastly, when we widen the lens, we gain peace. Because sometimes we just won't understand. Sometimes suffering is just bigger than us. This is the book of Job, right? Where they spend 40 chapters trying to figure out why something happened. In the end, God says, it just is. And I am bigger than it. And this is part of what Romans does, Romans 8 does. When we widen the lens, we realize that above it all, above whatever suffering we could go through, there's God. And somehow it's okay. Even in the midst of inexplicable suffering, God still is, and it is okay. One of my favorite hymns is uh, All Creatures of Our God and King. You guys know this one? It's based off a poem by St. Francis called The Canticle of Brother, Son, and Sister Moon. You can find it online. It's pretty easy to find. And it's a poem about all of creation praising God. And if you read it, you start off and the sun praises God and the moon praises God and the stars praise God. And eventually fire praises God and wind praises God. And you know who the last person to praise God is in that poem? Sister Death. First time I read that, and apparently right now, it just cuts through me. The idea that in the end, even death submits to God. As many of you know, um, my father-in-law is dealing with terminal cancer right now. That's something that's come about fairly recently. And if I'm honest, I've bounced between different feelings, feelings of anger, right? This isn't fair, or apathy, you know, what can I do? Or anxiety, right? Which then leads to the, that like anxious, like we got to move there. We got to do this. We got to, you know, we got to, what can we do? So when I started working on the sermon last week, I honestly was kind of mad at Romans 8. I'm like, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want just the like, hey, it all works out in the end. And I was a little bit mad of like, that doesn't make up for the pain of now. And the longer I sat with this passage, though, the more it changed me and the more I saw it with different eyes. And I think we have to take this passage kind of out of the sentimental. This isn't the thing you throw in a bumper sticker and let it speak from down here in our souls. And in the depths of our souls, all of these things are true. I can look at this situation and know that this too shall pass. That one day death won't be that one day my father-in-law's body will be redeemed. 
that this suffering is temporary and that the kingdom of God will come. And I also know this truth that if I enter in, instead of trying to fix things, if I groan with God, God speaks to me in that place and he slows me down and we weep together. And I'm sent back out in a different way to be a person of grace and healing and love. The the love of Jesus just comes into that. This Jesus-shaped love just washes over that place. And I know that we can actually grow through all of this, all of us, me, my wife, my father-in-law. Somehow we can all come closer to Jesus and all of it. And lastly, again, I was struck by that big picture of like, over all of it, there's God. All things come to God. Death is horrible, but in the end, above it all, there is God. And even death submits to God in the end. When I can widen the lens, the facts don't change, right? The pyramids are still the pyramids. Terminal cancer is still terminal cancer. But there's hope. The story changes. There's peace. There is God. Came across this quote from Anne Frank this week. Of course, Holocaust, who went through the Holocaust? I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness. I hear the ever approaching thunder, which will destroy us too. I can feel the suffering of millions. And yet, if I look up into the heavens, I think that it will all come right. In the meantime, I must uphold my ideals for perhaps the time will come when I shall be able to carry them out. Suffering is real, but there is a bigger story. Eventually it all comes to God. And so we can say with Paul, not in a cheap way, but from the depths of our souls, that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.